Check one, two. Hey, this is Rumsgold. This episode's all about guns and the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is bullshit. Why doesn't anyone go at the core of it? The Second Amendment is the most vital amendment because without it, there is no First Amendment. There is no gun violence. There is criminal violence, and they use an assortment of tools. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Why did we do a show about guns and the Second Amendment? To view people's different views on guns, maybe? You shouldn't take guns to school with you. They're dangerous. Guns are dangerous? What? Oh, brother. I will get rid of gun-free zones on schools, and you have to. My first day, it gets signed, okay? My first day. But do you remember what your original question was? Yes. What is the Second Amendment? Do you remember why we decided to do a show about guns? Yes. Why? <laughs> no? We were watching the debates. So what exactly, what, what's the Second Amendment? Here, I have a copy of it. What, what does that say? A well-regulated... Militia. Militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So this first clause, since it's important to have a well-regulated militia... I have no idea what militia even means. Yeah, well, a lot of us don't. Matter of fact, almost every one of these words is up for debate. You could discuss it for hours and hours. Years have gone by with people debating over the word regulated, or debating over the word militia, or necessary, or security. So it gets complicated. Basically, though, it says that since it's important to have a well-regulated militia, whatever that is, I think it means a group of people defending themselves with guns, but they're regulated, or in some way have an agreed-upon set of rules that govern them. So why is it important? It's important to the... Security of a free state. Which is? United States. Yep. So, therefore, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Okay? Yep. You get it? Yep. I don't. <laughs> so that's why... <laughs> it wears you out to think about it, doesn't it? So, that's why we have this entire episode and the next one devoted to the topic. Guns, gun laws, and the Second Amendment. Our idea, as always, at Rome Schooled, is to look at the whole thing with fresh eyes. And in doing so, I, I hope we turn it completely on its head for you. Our aim is not to give any aspect of this any sort of spin, but rather for us to roam around the whole topic and through it by living in it and talking to people. So I realized that guns are a huge part of American culture. And if we're going to do an episode about them, I should definitely get to know what it is about them that's so important, the red, white, and blue. So where do we start? Well, we decided to start at a gun shop that was known for being conversant and means they are willing to talk to people and they have viewpoints but I wasn't really sure what we were in for okay I gotta tell you I'm a little nervous I've never even been to a gun shop and we're about to go into some place called the gun room attack parrot 
think that's for real? Do you really have an attack parrot? Yeah. So we got there close to closing time. Yeah. Oh yeah, look at that. Can we go down? Look at him. Look at him from And we wandered around, we stared at some guns, trying to just learn by looking. Can you smell? Um, but it wasn't long before a Rome school type interaction started. I told him about the show we were doing. You guys were strangely quiet. Do you remember how you were feeling? Uh, I was kind of scared, and I wasn't paying attention that much because I was focused on the parrot. <laughs> you were scared and distracted by the attack parrot. Not that I wasn't scared by the attack parrot. I just did not. Like well, what were you? What were you scared about? I just don't like talking about violence or guns. Why? Uh. Is it, does it make you think of horrible things that could happen, or? Yeah, kind of. Dying, and I don't like talking about dying. Well, the parrot was our inn, and pretty soon we were deep in conversation with the owner. Oh, he's not the owner. His daughter is. Ah, that's right. He told us that. That's a real big issue. Every place else in the world where there's lots of gun control, there's lots of violence in this country. There's very little violence. There, there's all kinds of violence here. Oh, no. Not compared to the rest of the world. Hell no. It's the civilized countries? Not, not true. Not true at all. Sweden, Canada. The guy walks into Sweden and kills 74 people because everybody knows it's a soft target. You know, and they're all kids. So I could tell this guy was someone who'd be willing to talk to us. But a lot of what he said to us was, as you can imagine, a little bit one-sided. And we're looking for the common ground here. So the next voice you'll hear is that of Penny Okamoto. She's the executive director of Ceasefire Oregon. Ceasefire is known as a moderate group that pushes for safe gun ownership, laws, and discussion. So this constructed conversation you're about to hear has some elements of the classic gun debate, but it also is meant to try to find some common ground in a new way. Do we really have the lowest rate of gun violence? <laughs> <laughs> so there's no laughing allowed here, at least not at each other's opinions. And just so you know, I've taken out all the name-calling, so people can be civil when they're trying very hard, or when I have a chance to edit their conversations a little bit afterwards. Okay, I have to tell you, honey, we really do have... Um, one of the highest rates of gun violence. These countries down here are, are countries that are part of something called the um, OECD. Those are the Organization of Economic and Cultural Development Countries. Okay, so those are going to be other countries like us. They're going to be, you know, Japan, Germany, Western developed countries. This graph tells me that Mexico's a far more violent place in terms of handgun deaths than the United States. But let's, so let's take a look at this. Japan, Germany, France, uh, these, you know, OECD countries. So here's the United States. So we're higher. Wow. It's actually a lot higher. Ten times higher than most. So here's a way of thinking of the figures that we're looking at in these graphs. Imagine that you live in a mid-sized town in America. A hundred thousand people. In a town that size, roughly the size of San Mateo, California, or Davenport, Iowa, Hillsboro, Oregon, South Bend, Indiana, Green Bay, Wisconsin, there's probably three or four high schools, a mall, a few movie theaters, maybe a bowling alley or three. You probably know quite a few of the people and you run into them. You say hi when you go shopping. Sometimes you maybe honk at an intersection. Here's what the numbers say. Not just the ones that Penny's showing us, but we did our own research as well. Each year in this U.S. town of 100,000 people, 10 of them 
will be shot to death. So in, in these other countries that we're looking at, Germany, Spain, Finland, Hungary, let's take uh, Ireland and Italy, for example. Guess, guess how many people in a town of 100,000 would be shot each year in those countries? Three people? Less. Two people? Less. One person? Yep, one person out of 100,000. And we're at 10. What, who has the lowest gun violence? England. <sighs> how many? One-fifth of a person. Is that even one person? No, that means every five years there would be one person in that town. Okay, and in Sweden? Um, um. Trick question. One, just like the rest of the countries. I just brought up Sweden because we're kind of tired of always being compared to Sweden. But for the land of liberty, the U.S., how many is it again? Ten. Yep. Well, we do have guns. There are guns in England, but we don't have guns for self-protection. What are they for? Well, people ha traditionally have guns for going out hunting, to catch things to eat and to live off. And they don't have guns to protect themselves against other people. Because other people... Don't have guns. We traditionally, as a country, do not own guns as a weapon of defence against other human beings. In, in all of the thinking and talking to people we've done for this show, we've come to think that maybe the, the genie's out of the bottle and there's this cycle that will never Put go back. Put it back in the bottle. Put the How? guns away. How? Well, it's got to be that the mindset has to change. This is what... We're trying to find some common ground. Not to take away all the guns, but to help with the conversation in which gun violence is reduced. So we've learned a lot from talking to people who are gun enthusiasts. And, yeah. And gun... I have a lot of friends who are gun enthusiasts and friends who I love, who when I find, I find out that they have bought a gun to protect themselves against their next door neighbour when the shit goes down, I find it terrifying. Why would you want a gun to do that? Wouldn't you want to help your neighbour? Wouldn't you want to pull together when the But what if it's not your neighbour, but what if it's the government? Or if you go back in history, what is often cited is your government. <laughs> Yeah, the Brits are coming. <laughs> well, that's it ironic. Could, it could still happen. That's ironic considering a long time ago, half of the people were Brits who were scared about the Brits coming. <laughs> but we can't go back in history no, that far no. to put the genie back in the bottle. <laughs> no, we can't. So there has to be, at this point, it's not going to go back. We can't say no guns. I don't even know if there's a way that a massive country like this can all get on the same page and decide that there is a new way forward with guns. It's like a big haystack, and in the haystack is... A pin? A, a, a glimmer of a pin. There are handfuls in, of, of little needles that we can use to sew a tapestry <laughs> of togetherness. Together. It's going to there, be a patchwork. There's some, yeah, a patchwork. There's, a, there's some common ground that we're finding. We went to a gun shop. We've listened to countless Ted Nugent interviews. There is common ground. Maybe we can't look to the English for answers about gun control because, as you'll hear later, they were perceived of as our oppressors when the Second Amendment was drafted and put into the Constitution. But how about somebody even friendlier? Say, the Canadians. They're nice, and they have guns. I don't think they'll ever invade our country, at least not in the foreseeable future, and their gun deaths are about one-tenth of what ours are in the United States. Last time we were in Canada, we asked a man from Alberta, which is known as the Texas of Canada, just a few basic questions about getting guns there. We're just going to buy a couple guns. Well, 
You can't actually buy a couple of guns that instantaneously. Really? You need a FAC, yeah. basically a, a permit. It's firearms acquisition certificate. I actually need a permit to own a gun in you Canada? Buy a gun, yes. You need to register the weapon, got, yes. Yeah, we've got big gun registries here. They keep track of the guns? They do. Yeah. Droid. Except for Quebec. So in order to get a weapon, you, you have, have to... Yeah. And clearance before you can buy one. But in, but in all seriousness, we're trying to learn as much as we can about guns, so we thought we might just go buy a couple. We can do that, though, right? No. Can my seven-year-olds do it? They won't hurt anybody. No. Can I buy one for them if I go through the proper procedure? No. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> no, no, I can't make you say it's crazy. But wait just a second. There's a whole other way to look at these numbers. So I promise some common ground. Here's another way of looking at those numbers. You know whose death rate is higher? Mexico. Yep. So in an average Mexican population of 100,000, they have 10.5 gun deaths. So it's only a little tiny bit higher than ours. Venezuela, though, has 60. Jamaica has 31. Honduras has 67. Brazil has 21. This is the number of people. Oh, in... 67? Yep. Honduras has a, a lot of gun violence. So what I'm pointing out here with all these numbers is that you can see how it would be possible to make a graph that puts the U.S. number right about in... The middle. Yep. Right there with the Philippines, Montenegro, Uruguay, and Argentina. They have about the same gun death rate as the United States. So Penny Okamoto has shown us a lot of graphs. They don't, in fact, show the United States as having the lowest violence by any stretch. In fact, they show the opposite. Of civilized countries, we have roughly 10 times as many gun deaths as the average of the other countries. So anyway, it is not true that we have less gun violence. We actually have a lot more gun violence. So, I mean, the thing they didn't tell you is, uh, number one, uh, let's see, 50,000 heroin deaths last year. I think there was maybe... Uh, total firearm fatalities, including Chicago and everything else, are the least smallest. 1.3% of all violent deaths are firearms, period, to begin with. They actually drowned two and a half times as many people as firearms. Medical malpractice was 250,000 people. That was the number one on the, on the top. So total firearm fatalities was something like 12 or 13,000, which is nothing compared to the population. Hmm. Okay, I don't want to bore you with statistics, but we got to check some of these facts because he just laid a lot of them on us. So I did exhaustive research, and I'm going to have you guess which facts were true and which ones weren't. So number one, he said there were 50,000 heroin deaths, heroin overdoses. Well, Is that? I don't think that's true. I don't believe that. Well, in fact, there were 50,000 total drug overdoses last year, and heroin is included in that total. And yes, that total number is larger than the number of people who lost their lives at the wrong end of a gun. And he also quoted the number of firearm fatalities, sort of correctly, at 13,000. But that's only if you don't count 21,000 gun suicides every year. Wow. That means that most of the deaths by firearms in the United States every year are from people shooting themselves. This brings up mental health issues, which are at the core of the debate about guns. Behind all of the talk about regulating the size of guns and the number of guns, it's who can access them and whether they're of sound mind. Another statistic that he threw out was that total firearm fatalities only accounted for 1.3% of all violent deaths. This one? I think it's BS, Dad. Okay, you are correct. 
The FBI and the CDC both agree there were 22,000 violent or intentional deaths last year, and half of them, 11,000 of them, were from firearms. If you're really doing the math and getting hung up in the numbers here, 11,000 were murders, 2,000 were accidental deaths, 21,000 were suicides. How many people were killed total? 33,000 people. And, you know, he also mentioned that medical malpractice kills 250,000 people. That's medical malpractice. Mistakes. Mistakes made in the hospital or mistakes made by doctors. That's a quarter of a million people, and that seems like quite a stretch, right? That can't be true. But he's right. According to the Journal of the American Medical Association, that's the number. Accidental deaths due to medical malpractice killed a quarter of a million people. Jeez! This is getting depressing. I know, but nothing's ever going to happen to you. You're probably actually never going to die, and neither am I. Okay, so the last statistic in this show, probably, is uh, when he said that what he said about drowning. And I saw you raise your eyebrows. What did he say? That more people drown than get killed by a gun. He actually said that more people are drowned violently than are killed by guns. It's not right. doesn't sound right. Is it true that more people drown than get shot? Uh, no, that is not true. About 10,000 Americans every single year are shot to death. About an additional 20,000 Americans every year shoot themselves to death. And there are 75,000 or more who are shot and injured but do not die. And I, I do know for a fact that we do not have that kind of problem with drowning. Eight to 10 people are murdered every year by drowning. Not eight to 10,000, but just eight to 10. But you know what? I've taken us completely into the weeds and we have to stop talking about statistics. Let's look at the bigger picture. Let's say that just, we'll just suppose that someone's right, that 50,000 people a year drown. Let's say that's correct. It is not, but let's say it is. Okay, does that mean we shouldn't do anything about gun violence just because so many people are drowning? Of course not. It doesn't have to be the most pervasive problem, the most common problem, to want to do something about it. We are actually losing a great number of people to gunshot, death, and injury every year. You can go to the Center for Disease Control Studies, you can go to the government, any agency that takes in information about how people die, and believe me, there are a lot of agencies who do that, you will find these huge numbers of people who are shot and injured or shot and killed. So uh, bottom line is it's an ancient, old-fashioned argument where people have the right of self-defense. The reason why Adolf Hitler decided not to invade the United States, the reason why Tojo decided not to invade, the reason why everybody decided not to invade the United States is because the Second Amendment and the civilian population armed to the T. So the first method of maintaining a democracy is the number one First Amendment, it's free speech. I, don't, I think Obama's the worst son of a bitch that ever hit the Well, now the, you're getting into politics. <laughs> That's free speech. That's what I have right. the right to okay. say. Okay. Yeah, and I can back it up, too. The second thing is what guarantees that right is the Second Amendment, which means everybody has the right to bear arms to defend themselves. So the reason the Second Amendment is so important, then, is what you're saying is that the First Amendment is so important. It protects the people from the government. That's, that's a pretty awful thing to say, that uh, because you're saying, if you don't like what I say, I can shoot you. 
That's not American. You hear that all the time in America, though. You hear about how the Second Amendment is there to protect our other rights and the First Amendment in particular. No, whether you're whether you're talking about you know what you want to say, who you want to worship. Um, no, you don't have the right to go shoot somebody just because they disagree with you. The Second Amendment is the most vital amendment because without it, there is no First Amendment. It's what separates Americans and America from the rest of the world. Dramatic music and narration courtesy of the NRA. So what do you think of this idea in which the Second Amendment, that is your ability to carry a gun, protects the First Amendment or somebody's ability to say whatever they want? I don't think that's true. If what? you have a gun, so if okay. you're trying to speak your mind, yeah. and if somebody tries to attack you, yeah. I don't think your gun will help. You could oh. shoot them back, but people would still go after you. It's not like guns are the only way to protect yourself. And whoever it is that might keep you from having freedom of speech, their ability to impede your freedom of speech isn't necessarily affected with a gun. They could do it with fire, or rocks, or swords. Or a number of people voting no. Or voting. <laughs> yes. How else would you protect yourself? You got your body. <laughs> so he's saying that the First Amendment is protected by the Second Amendment. But she's saying that that's sort of a suggestion that anybody who speaks their mind might be shot. So it's almost like a threat. If somebody's really extreme about the Second Amendment, it can come off as being a very threatening proposition. Having that type of a context to frame your freedom of speech doesn't really give you freedom of speech. Yet it's hard to argue with either of these viewpoints, so we just have to keep looking for some common ground, can we? Mm-hmm. Yep. Have you, ever heard of, have you ever heard of a logical fallacy? I think that there might be one in our thinking about the Constitution that you are chipping away at. So when people look at a logical problem or a philosophical dilemma with a certain set of constructs that prevents that problem from being solved, that can cause an impossible cycle. And that's why the genie is out of the bottle, as they say. All these guns are out there, and the people who have them and want to keep them are not going to let them go because they fear that their freedoms will be taken away. But the people who want to live a life without guns feel that same sense of fear about the loss of their freedoms. It's a cycle. Herman Goring said before he committed, you know, he bit the cyanide pill and they didn't get a chance to hang him. Just before he said, can't believe it, how easy it was to take control of a population and make them do what you want. The right to bear arms is a political right designed to safeguard freedom so that no government can take away from you the rights which God has given you. And it was written by people who had spent their lifetime fighting the greatest empire in the world. And they knew that if they had not had the right to bear arms, they would have been enslaved. And that is why they guaranteed us the right to protect ourselves. It is a political right of the deepest importance to the survival of freedom in America. Can we just get to, first of all, how ridiculous it is for people to think that the Second Amendment protects them from tyranny? Didn't Waco solve that? Remember Waco? They had like 1.9 million rounds of ammunition. They had 50 caliber machine guns. They had grenades. 
What did the government have? Everything else. Yeah. The winner and still champion, the United States government, thinking the Second Amendment can protect you from tyranny. It's like thinking that the First Amendment protects you from Thor. Quaint, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's the Second Amendment is about our freedom, the ability to protect ourselves, our families, and our property. And if we don't have an adherence to the Second Amendment, then we lose the capacity for the first one. The Second Amendment is valid. It's not going anywhere. You can have your opinions about it, but it's kind of silly to fight it. So even though guns haven't been a part of my household, at least not yet, I have to respect how much the Second Amendment means to people who own guns and some who don't. Sometimes I think of it as if it applied to my guitars. As a lifelong musician, I've always used guitars to express myself, make my living, and feel safe. I pretty much need to have one in the house at all times. At least, I used to. If someone tried to take my guitars or my ability to express myself, I'd start talking crazy just like gun aficionados have extreme rhetoric when they feel that someone's going to take away their guns. So guns are here to stay, right along with the Second Amendment. The next step is finding this common ground about how to make them safer. And one way to do that is the law, regulations. America, my name's Ted Nugent, and these are all legal guns, and I'm gonna see that they remain legal because they're all good. should be about guns that there isn't? That's a great question. Um, we have a lot of laws regarding guns, um, but the truth of the matter is that they're not really keeping us safe. So one of the laws I think is most important is called a background check. In Oregon, it's required for all gun sales, except for a very few, like family members. So family members can sell guns or give guns or things like that, exchange guns without actually having to do a background check. Way back in 1993, the Brady Bill required background checks when anyone was buying a gun from a federally licensed firearms dealer. I like background checks. I wrote Wango Tango when I carry a gun. But a lot of people actually didn't undergo a background check. 22% of people who buy guns do it without a background check. Only 22? It was, it's much better. We had thought there aren't very good studies because the NRA actually has blocked funding for studies. Okay, so the Brady Bill, there's a couple of things you might not know about James Brady. He was Reagan's press secretary. He was shot, along with Reagan, in an assassination attempt in 1981. What's an assassination? Um, it's when a public figure or a, a person who's well-known to many is killed. Like when uh, Martin Luther King was shot? Exactly. So that was in 1981, and James Brady was paralyzed by the bullet, so people in Congress got together and they decided, oh, well, something needs to happen, because the person who shot them was an insane person. And they said, people with mental health issues shouldn't be allowed to purchase guns, so we're going to have something called a background check. And this was the main component of the Brady Bill. But it didn't become law until 12 years later, which was during... Wow, that is... It's a long time. And that was during Clinton's presidency on a bill introduced by a guy who is still a senator in New York, Charles Schumer. Originally, there was a background check and a waiting period. So they'd make you wait for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, depending on the gun and depending on the state. But the NRA lobbied to have this waiting period go away and to make the background checks be performed instantly. It's less than the time that it takes for the transaction to go through on your credit card. Still, here is where we find some common ground. 
even staunch gun supporters like Ted Nugent. You guys know who Ted Nugent is? Who's Ted Nugent? He's um, a rock and roller from the 1970s. He's a big fan of the Second Amendment, and he's very outspoken. He was pretty well known for a while in the 70s. Here's what his music sounds like. What do you think? <laughs> Very loud. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, I don't like it at all. Scale one to ten. Three. No. <laughs> one. <laughs> I'll turn that off. The thing is, even though he has radically different views than I do, and a pretty different aesthetic than you guys do, obviously, musically. One little sliver of common ground is that, and a lot of people might not know this, Ted Nugent supports background checks, as does the NRA, as it turns out. But there is a catch, and we'll get to this. This is Dana, and you're listening to Rome Schooled. This is the first of two episodes about guns and the Second Amendment. Can I come in with my family and get a gun? Absolutely. It's America. It's been that way since 1776. And what what type of documentation would I need? Well, it's simple. You need good ID. If you uh, have any kind of a emotional problem, a criminal problem, or anything that, you're either arrested or approved in about 15 minutes. Yeah. For trying to buy a gun? Yeah. And, uh, and, and today, if you uh, use drugs, if you use marijuana, for an example, you can't legally be in possession of a firearm. The biggest part of this whole thing is it really is a lifestyle, um, old-fashioned lifestyle that's healthy versus a, a new lifestyle that's unhealthy. So that's why the Duck Dynasty guys, for an example, you know, it's the best show kids can watch. Healthiest thing is fishing and hunting. It's the healthiest thing there is. Healthy activities, going fishing, hunting with grandpa and dad and everything else, creates a very strong... Yeah, honey. That's a wolf. Dana's at the other end of the counter. She's just interrupted us because they're looking at pictures of animals. You want to ask questions about that? You can. Next to people who have killed those animals, specifically wolves. That's my granddaughter. She just shot that deer. Yep, she did. You can see because the eyes are still. Ago. Why do they gleam when you take a picture of them? <laughs> this is a bird dog. Oh. Bird dog. When they're in my house, I don't know anything about guns. So part of Time to learn. And Time to learn. Guns are everywhere. I mean, look at it this way. Uh, in this country, we're going through all kinds of paperwork and everything else to make sure that people are doing things right. The bad guys could care less. They're doing things wrong all the time. But for now, we're really trying to embrace this culture that's so valued and germane to the gun rights conversation. It's what he's talking about, this lifestyle, clean outdoor living and hunting, etc. Well, the girls aren't buying it yet. And although this gets brought up a lot, when talking about gun laws, I want to make clear that this lifestyle emphasis is quite a separate conversation from the Second Amendment. 
gun advocates maintain a picture of the family in that bucolic adventure moment somewhere. But again, that sporting pastime is not at the heart of the Second Amendment conversation. But that picture of a family who does their own hunting and gathering and is self-sufficient is really alluring. It can be confusing. I never thought I'd look to these guys for clarification, but take it from Newt Gingrich and Mike Huckabee. I just want to say, and I don't want to offend anybody here who's a hunter, the right to bear arms is not about hunting. It's not about target practice. If somebody asks me about the Second Amendment, I don't go off and start talking about that I love to go hunting and been a lifelong hunter. That's not what the Second Amendment guarantees. When it comes to hunting, we do not at all oppose responsible gun ownership. And this is one of the fallacies, actually, that the gun lobby has promulgated, that this is all about a beautiful old rifle, woodstock, handmade, used for hunting, passed down from generation to generation, and that is not at all what's being preserved. By the way, have you ever hunted? Hunted, no. Do you have a gun? No, I've shot a gun. Why is it such a battleground to talk about this? One reason, one word. Money. Money, okay. <laughs> that is really it, money. How does money factor into that calculus? Uh, because in the, the United States is one of the few places in the world you can sell guns the way guns are allowed to be sold. And I said, you know, we've got 310 million guns in the United States, and the NRA takes a look at that, and they realize they've got a saturated market. Guns are being concentrated into fewer and fewer households. So when we take a look at gun ownership in the United States, we talk about gun-owning households. So fewer households owning guns, but the households that do own guns own more and more of them. So the NRA needs to sell a product to a guy who already has two, three, five, seven, ten, twenty guns. So they're, they're going to want to sell a new gun, and that's why they make concealed carry laws more lax. So you can manufacture and sell a new gun. Here, this little gun will fit into your purse. This little gun will fit into your bag. And you can sell the bags with that. That's why they actually repealed the ban on assault rifles. So you can sell assault rifles, 10 million assault rifles in the United States now. Silencers, that's why they want to deregulate silencers, because they can sell silencers in. The American Suppressor Association backs that bill. And suppre so, suppression of noise made by when a gun is discharged. So fi yeah. firing a gun, secretly firing a gun. Well, it's not, it's not silent, but it's much more silent. Right. It's much quieter. Suppressors, also known as silencers, are the hearing protection of the 21st century sportsman. Despite common myths and misconceptions, suppressors do not silence host firearms. By decreasing the overall sound signature, suppressors help to preserve the hearing of recreational shooters, hunters, and hunting dogs around the world. All Americans have the right to protect their hearing. We will continue to spend our time and resources until this is a reality for every citizen of this country. Uplifting and freedom-inspiring music and narration courtesy of the American Suppressor Association. Not everybody feels like the Suppressor Association is protecting their hearing. Take this guy who's been hunting with his dog for over 20 years. As a law-abiding hunter, there is no need. When you're hunting big game, you're using calibers that are well faster than the speed of sound. So there's no positive side to using a silencer other than nobody knows that you are anywhere around. True hunters are actually conservationists. Well, when you make it easier for people to go against all the other laws that are set in place to help better the deer herds, to help better turkey populations, you're essentially negating all conservation. So guns, 
are so deeply and meaningfully ingrained in our culture that we are no doubt drowning in studies and research and think tanks and more studies about how these machines can better serve humanity and be made more safe, right? Where, where's our research? Where's our study? We've got 33,000 people mm -hmm. dying every year in the United States. The Dickey Amendment which puts such a chill on research that, that if the CDC does any research on gun violence, we're going to take any money they do for research on gun violence and we're going to take that away from them. So quickly, who's Jay Dickey and why does his name attach to this notorious amendment to the Brady Bill, which everybody, including even Ted Nugent, seems to support? Well, in 1996, the Center for Disease Control came out with a study about gun violence. And by this time, people were starting to call gun violence an epidemic. The problem with this study was that the NRA hated it because it didn't look too good for guns. So one of their go-to staunch supporters of the Second Amendment was Jay Dickey. And so he spoke out against the CDC report. This is an issue of federally funded political advocacy to raise emotional sympathy for those people who are for gun control. So the NRA donated $1.6 million to Congress members who then in turn supported the Dickey Amendment. It was quite a win for the NRA because almost every single member of Congress who received a donation from the NRA voted for this piece of legislation. It is a blatant attempt on the part of government to federally fund lobbying and ad political ad advocacy. It's obviously not a, a public health threat. Fast forward about a decade, and there hasn't been much change in the amount of gun violence in the United States. But this story has a twist. I think the CDC should do the gun research that relates to gun violence. After the Oregon school shooting and again after Orlando, Dickey, the self-described NRA point man, announced a drastic change. I feel different now than I did before. He said he regretted bringing this ban on research into existence. Science has answers and research is the way to free it. That's the way I see it. He had noticed safety advances in other industries, and he drew attention to things like highway barricades in his home state of Arkansas. So now, amazingly, Dickey is leading the charge to undo the Dickey Amendment. This is how he's spending his retirement. As I have learned, as I come back into the, into the real world, we don't know what we can do with guns. Well, we didn't know what we could do with head-on collisions either. And I'm saying it's, it's time for us to do it. In fact, he's calling all of his former colleagues on Capitol Hill and he's asking them to, quote, evolve. Everybody talking about gun control. Got to get rid of the guns. Man, I like guns. You got a gun, you don't have to work out. <laughs> you don't need no gun control. You know what you need? We need some bullet control. We need to make, we need to control the bullets. That's right. I think all bullets should cost five thousand dollars. Five thousand dollars for a bullet. You know why? Because if a bullet costs five thousand dollars, there'll be no more innocent bystanders. Yeah. second part of the whole gun end of it is collectible firearms such as this. The greatest 
fire probably ever made. Most desirable. And this is strapped down, empty, so you can handle Safe. it. Is that? That's a Colt, Colt single 45? action army. Look how heavy this is. <laughs> can I try? Yeah, but this I'm going to hold on to part of it too, just in case your slippery little hands drop it. Oh, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. This was built in 1901. Shooting is a, uh, just like athletics. Before there was baseball, before there was football and everything else, even basketball, what did people do in this country? They shot competitively. Who was the best there ever was? The very best shooter of all time. Never lost a match, ever. Don't know. Why, she was a girl, and her last name was Oakley. And Annie you, Oakley. That's correct. She never lost a match. She went to England, took on the best shotgun shooters in the world, beat them. Huh. Best there ever was, girl. There's a lot of interest in competitive shooting again because of the Olympics. Hmm. And uh, so uh, that's a real good way to get started. I'm not going to lie, every once in a while I wonder, is there some value in getting into it as a hobby? More than once, that Daisy BB gun, the pink one, has caught my eye. I don't know why, so I would consider it if guns weren't so damn dangerous. So I ask him, why don't some of these reasonable safety regulations, we'll get into these in a minute, stick? You know, like they do with cars and toaster ovens and just about any other tool that we use, pieces of machinery that typically aren't involved in murder and accident epidemics. Why isn't there more give on regulating weapons? No, oh, because it's, a, it's absolute crap. Everybody else it? in the world has got these uh, massive uh, weapon systems, for an example, so uh, we're going to limit ourselves, the legitimate people in this country limit ourselves. No, if you're a legitimate person, you should be able to have anything you want. But those guns don't get used to fend off foreigners or invasions. They get used for defensive purposes. The bad guys are going to get things always. You know, they always get stuff. They don't abide by laws in any way, shape, or form. So that's the Chicago scenario right now. So ask a guy in a gun shop why he thinks guns get such a bad rap, and you get a pretty unexpected answer. You have to go to a psychological concept called stimulus generalization. It means you put a stimulus up in front of the right person, he's looking for an answer, well all of a sudden he says, there's my answer. So D.B. Cooper jumps out of an airplane. The violent, sensational American news media, which has created most all of this. Ah, uh, this is going to be that answer. Uh, jumps on it and gives it lots of publicity and the next thing you know, stimulus generalization, ten hijackings in a row. Columbine happens. What happens? A whole bunch more. So who is not held accountable? The media. The news media. That's so, true. I mean, it's real simple. Cooper syndrome, stimulus generalization, Cooper call it what it is. Okay. Well, that's... And by the way, you heard that here. We're going to bid farewell to our conversant friend at the gun shop. But before we leave him, the final thing that he said that you're going to hear, unless you decide to go visit him at the gun room on Southeast Foster, which I recommend is something that actually resonated with us. Is there something to be said for the responsibility of this, this thing that's, that, that they have in their hands that could potentially be dangerous? Oh, there's a huge responsibility when you put the crosshairs on a nice big bull elk and you put a bullet in him and you kill him. 
and then you have to go over and you have to take your knife out of your sheath and you have to cut him up and uh, you have to get bloody hands and, and maybe if a whole bunch of congressmen and senators, for an example, maybe if they got their hands a little bloody every once in a while they'd be real reluctant to send 50,000 people to somebody else's war. Uh, what's this about guns being dangerous? Well, Bobby, go on and clean the guns. I'll be in there in a minute. That's right. They kill people. Oh, Hank, guns have been around for years. If they were dangerous, I just think someone would have said something. How do you know who's the bad guy? That's the biggest question. Generally, I don't think anybody's really bad. I know it's yeah, hard to... They just make bad they just make bad choices. Yeah, and sometimes those bad choices are caused by mental health issues. And sometimes they're caused by mistaken identity or misinformation or extreme emotional duress or you just can't tell which guy is the guy who's making the bad choice. Well, there's actually one new type of legislation that's out there working its way through the courts that deals with mental health that's on the front lines of the gun discussion. It's called an extreme risk protective order. Washington State just passed it, and California has a very similar one. They call it a gun violence restraining order. So back a couple of years ago, this guy named Elliot Roger, uh, he was acting very strangely. He was in his early 20s, and uh, his parents were very concerned and went to law enforcement and said, can you talk to my son? We're really concerned about him. He's making threats and such. The police talked to him, said he hasn't done anything wrong. We can't charge him with anything. There's nothing we can do. He subsequently killed six people. So that was in the spring. That was in May. Um, that By that September, um, California legislator had passed AB 1014, the gun violence restraining order. So now families can go to the courts and say, we are really concerned about our loved one. Can you please temporarily remove guns. This one's really hard. In the state of Oregon, a similar law didn't pass. Last September, um, Caitlin Armand's estranged husband was having some problems with his ex-wife over custody. His ex-wife told the judge, I have a lot of concerns about him, he's aggressive, just raising a lot of red flags. They could have gone to a judge at that time and said, please use a law to prevent him from getting guns. December 2nd, he posts an ad online that says, anybody got a gun for sale or trade? 23 days later, Christmas Day, this just this past Christmas Day, he shoots his wife and he shoots this police officer. Wow. And this was a bill that we could have passed. Mm -hmm. Every, every single session, I'm thinking, please don't let this happen. Don't let this, if we're gonna lose this bill, you know, I don't want anybody to die because we lost this bill. What kind of brings you to Dana's questions about how can you tell who the bad guys are? Right. Um, because I can see an argument being made about a law like that in which that yeah. law is abused or the law is used to restrain people who might be only subjectively viewed as being a hazard. It's, it's hard to tell who the bad guys are, in other words. Every law is flawed, pretty much. And speed limits are flawed. It's hard to wrap your brain around every conceivable outcome of a given piece of legislation. I mean, just look at Jay Dickey and his call for research to stop on gun violence. My gut tells me one thing, and my head tells me another. And I think that's where we are as a country. Here's one final puzzle to chew on for this episode. 
Dana framed it a few minutes ago, and here's the basic challenge as articulated by Wayne LaPierre, head of the NRA. As parents, we do everything we can to keep our children safe. It's now time for us to assume responsibility for our schools. The only way, the only way to stop a monster from killing our kids is to be personally involved and invested in a plan of absolute protection. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. One of the basic tenets of our show, one of the basic tenets of my life, one of my core philosophies is that there's always more than one way to do anything. That problem is solved in, in a Rambo movie. And then there's the evidence. One example of that is the Umpqua Community College shooting. As a matter of fact, there was a concealed handgun license holder with a gun, an armed guy who was a veteran, had experience, knew what he was doing with guns, and uh, of course was not able to stop the shooting. Even if you arm everybody, a person has to start shooting an open fire before somebody can, be, can stop them. It only takes a matter of seconds to shoot a lot of bullets off. No chance for this hypothetical good guy to take this hypothetical bad guy out. No, but even if the <laughs> hypothetical good guy with a gun wasn't injured and right. followed that person, then how do the police officers know who's the good guy with the gun and who's the bad guy with the gun? They right. don't know. The hypothetical situation that is often argued for soon becomes a horrible mess, in right. other words. Actually, uh, there was uh, a shooting in Flint, Michigan. A little girl named Kyla Rollins, she was only six years old. Um, she was shot to death by a, a classmate. A classmate found um, his uncle's gun at school and brought it into school, and he shot her, and she died. Do you think he did it on purpose? I think he was too young to understand what he was doing. He was only six. I can't see a world where our first-grade teachers carry guns. Then take the case of Gabby Giffords, what ultimately stopped that situation from being an absolute massacre was the size of the killer's magazine, a gun regulation, a reasonable one. This guy's opening fire, he's shooting everyone, then he ran out of bullets and he had to, he had to switch magazines. So he got another magazine out and when he did that, my friend Patricia Mache, the woman in her 60s, she jumped on him, got the gun away from him and then two other guys helped her tackle him. That's how that shooting stopped. When people are hunting, in the state of Oregon, if they're hunting for large game, so like a big elk or something like that, you only have five bullets at once. If you're hunting for birds, you're only allowed three at one time. It gives the, the elk you know, more of a sporting chance to get away. But, you know, if you want to shoot people, you get as many as you can possibly have. In the next episode of Rome School, we're going to find out why, really, why the regulations are what they are about guns and why the battle is so weird. We're also going to go shooting at a shooting range and I'm going to finally fire my first gun under the watchful eye of my friend Mike. Finally, we're going to meet two men who both lost their little brothers to gunfire. One of them lost two little brothers. And we're going to find out about the art and advocacy projects that both of these men have created in response. Thanks very much for listening. This has been Rome School, the genie's out of the bottle. Rome Schooled is written and produced by me, Jim Brunberg, with a lot of help from my daughters, Dana and Veronica. Production from Lydia Ritchie, Ben Landsberg, and I make the music under the name Wonderly. An assistant production now from Alexis Kenyon. 
We're now a nonprofit, so please visit our website, donate if you can, and check out the really cool slideshows for each episode that Lydia Ritchie puts together. Thanks for listening. We'll see you out there on the road.